I think you guys liked that story more than the kids at 9.30 did. <laughs> but I did ask Beth after she told it at 9.30. I, I don't know that I realized that we were supposed to be nice to the Yankees. I don't know. She's going to have to quote me chapter and verse on that one before I'll... <laughs> so uh, last week, uh, we read a familiar story um, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, if you weren't here last week, it's the story of Jesus calming uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and reading that story by itself, we talked about this a little bit last week, but when you read it by itself, there's this temptation uh, to think that... It, it's trying to teach us that all you have to do is turn to Jesus during the storms of this life and he will calm them. Uh, from experience, would you say that that might not be totally true? <laughs> right? Does Jesus calm every storm in this life? Does he heal every sickness in this life? But does he have the power to? Absolutely. And last week we saw that in some ways, we saw this in the disciples, that some way that power of Jesus, it can be more terrifying than the storm itself. So what I want you to do, I want you to keep that story in your mind. If you weren't here last week, I imagine it's a familiar story. Keep that story in your mind as we continue to read today. And we're gonna read a lot of scripture today um, because I really believe that Mark intends for us to read his gospel in, in these big chunks not just to read them sections at a time or stories at a time. He's inviting us to read large sections. So uh, when we read these stories one at a time, the danger is that we, we just miss the larger context. And then that makes it really hard for us to accurately interpret and apply the scriptures to our lives. So today we're gonna read all of Mark chapter five, uh, but we're gonna do it using two very different versions. And I'll explain that when the time comes. Now we had said in September at the start of this series that our goal is not to read the Gospel of Mark word for word. That the goal was to use the Gospel of Mark to answer some really important questions. And those questions, we've talked about them. Uh, but just as a reminder, what is the Gospel? If we are going to be disciple-making disciples, we gotta be able to answer that question when we're asked, right? So what is the Gospel? What is a disciple? Who are we? And then what is it that we believe? What are the essentials of our faith? So that's still the plan. I've just become convinced over the past six weeks that we're gonna have to read a lot more scripture if we're gonna get this right. Uh, so let's pray, and then I'll start by reading Mark chapter five. Uh, Father, as always, uh, guide us, be present with us. As the scripture is read, as the gospel is proclaimed, open our minds, our ears, our eyes, and our heart that we could receive it, and that it would make its way from our mind down deep into our being, that it would transform us from the inside out, that we would be able to see the ways that we can use our hands and our feet, that we can use our words when necessary to proclaim this good news, to be a light in the darkness, to be a voice of hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So this is Mark chapter five. Uh, I'm gonna start by reading verses one through 21. So just listen to the story. Everything I read today, I imagine will be familiar stories to you again. So just listen to them. Try to listen as if you're hearing them for the first time. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And this is just simply to say this is a Gentile area, no longer a Jewish area. So they've gone from a Jewish region to a Gentile region. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling, cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Then with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Uh, Roman Legion was about 6,000 troops. That's where the language comes from. Uh, Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Now there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them, so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pig, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your people and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. This is the word of of God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. So that's the story of a man who, who is just, he's overwhelmed by evil, uh, totally oppressed by everything that stands in opposition to God and to God's coming kingdom. Now, in this story, it's tragic. The man's connection to himself is broken. His connection to his community, it's completely destroyed. Jesus finds him as nothing more than the walking dead. But Jesus finds him. And that same man, now his relationship with himself, his relationship with his community, they've been healed. His humanity has been restored, the walking dead returned to life. And then that man went on to tell a Gentile city all about the one who gave him his life back. Jesus who came and had the power to save. So I wanna read the rest of the chapter, the next two stories. Uh, But I'm going to do this uh, from a children's Bible. I want to read this to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, And there's a reason. It's a beautiful retelling of this story. And the way this story is told, it reminds me that these stories are really designed to help us fall more in love with Jesus, simply for who he is. So I want to read this version because it captures the nature of Jesus for children Remembering this is the same Jesus who terrified the disciples because of his overwhelming and uncontrollable power. The way this story is told, it captures a compassion and a sweetness in him 
that whether we're children or adults, if we have ears to hear it, it should draw us closer and closer to him. So listen to this. This is the rest of Mark chapter five. There once was a little girl who was very sick and no one knew how to make her better. Jairus was her daddy and he loved her. Now one day he was sitting by her bed holding her hand, wishing there was something he could, I know, he said. So he jumped to his feet He ran down the steps, through the gates, along the road, into the town. He fought his way through all the people until at last he found who he was looking for. Jesus, he said, as he fell at Jesus' feet. My daughter, he pleaded, please, but, but he didn't need to beg because before he had even finished speaking, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him up. I'll come at once, Jesus said. And Jairus' eyes filled with tears, but partly because he knew that if Jesus didn't get there soon, it would be too late. But everybody was in the way. A huge crowd pushing and shoving. The disciples ran ahead, forcing the crowd back, but suddenly Jesus stopped. Who touched me? (laughs) Jesus asked who touched me because he felt power go out from him. Me, says this frail lady, looking down at the ground because she was afraid. This poor lady had been sick for 12 years and she had to get well. And she knew if she only touched Jesus' coat that she would be healed. So she touched his coat and instantly she was well. He reached out his hands and he gently lifted her head. He looked into her eyes and smiled, daughter, you believe So as he wiped a tear from her eye, he said, and now you are well. And I just want to point out that Jesus calls her daughter. And as far as I can tell, that's the only time in the Gospels Jesus calls anybody daughter. This woman is separated from her family, from her neighbors, from practicing her faith. She is unable to have children. This is a woman who is unable to call someone else her own daughter. And he calls her daughter. He didn't didn't have to do that. But he knows exactly what we need and he knows exactly what we need to hear. The story continues. Just then, Jairus' servant rushed up to Jairus. It's too late, he said breathlessly. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus turned to Jairus. It's not too late. Just trust me. At Jairus' house, everyone was crying. The funeral had already begun. But Jesus said, I'm going to wake her up. And everyone laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Jesus walked into the little girl's bedroom. Jesus sat on the bed and took her pale hand. And I want to tell you that what she's about to say next, this is as good a translation of the Greek as I have found in any translation. Jesus walked into the girl's bedroom. He sits on the bed and takes her pale hand and says, honey, It's time to get up. And he reached down into death and he gently brought this little girl back to life. The little girl woke up, rubbed her eyes as if she had just had a good night's sleep. She leapt out of bed and Jesus called out to her family, bring this little girl some breakfast. (laughs) This too is the word of the Lord. 
All right, so let me show you what these four stories have to do with each other, why these stories are tied together, why Mark wants us to read about the calming of the storm, read about this man who is oppressed by just so many spirits. Mark wants us to read about the woman who's bled for 12 years and a 12-year-old girl who has died and was brought back to this life. He wants us to read these stories together, so let me show you why and what it means for our lives today. Um, And the first thing that we need to do is I want you to think about the relationships that are involved in each story. And I've hinted at them a little bit, but I'm convinced to really understand what Mark is doing, as always, we need to go back to the beginning. Now, there's this teacher of mine named Daryl Johnson. He wrote a book called The Story That Makes Sense of Our Stories. It's a study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, And in his teaching on Genesis 2, he says that for us to live the fully human lives we were created to live, that we have to be in four relationships. We have to have a relationship with God, the relationship with others, the relationship with ourselves, and a relationship with nature, with all creation. Those are the four relationships that we were made for. Did you notice one relationship we're not made for? (laughs) We're not made for a relationship with demons. (laughs) We're not made for a relationship with evil. Hence the tree that we were told to stay away from, right? So that's Genesis one and two, but what happened? That tree that we were told to stay away from. Genesis 3 happened, and human sin has caused a fracture in each and every one of those relationships, hence the mess of the world that we live in today. We were made for a relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, and with creation. Now think again about our four miracle stories. In the calming of the sea, Jesus healed the disciples' relationship with nature, In the exorcism of the man with a legion of unclean spirits, Jesus healed the man's relationship with himself and with his community. In the healing of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, Jesus healed her relationship with nature, her relationship with herself and with her community. And then finally, when he raised a 12-year-old girl back to life, Jesus revealed his power over death itself. He healed the ultimate relationship, our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul will ask in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? He tells us what the story says, that not even death itself. You see, in these four stories, Jesus is putting on the display of the power of the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't calm every storm. He doesn't cure every disease, though though we wish he would. But at the end of the day, that's not the point. The point is that he's coming with the power of a kingdom that will not just end my next illness. He's coming with the power of a kingdom that will render every storm, all oppression, all suffering, every sickness, and even death, it'll render them all utterly powerless. Forever. And that's good news. He's coming to restore all creation to restore the relationships that we were made for, to redeem our humanity, to make us fully human once again, glorified, united with him forever. And that's really good news. The kingdom of God is coming and these stories are meant to be signposts. They point forward to a day when Jesus will return and when his kingdom reigns forever. And that's the best news you could ever hear. But these stories also give us hope. 
They give us hope that even if Jesus doesn't calm this storm today, he has the power to overcome every storm, all oppression, all sickness and death, and he's on his way to do it. That's how these stories function in Mark's gospel. That's why they're told in one big unit. That's why we should look at them together. But the problem is, as we read them today, until Jesus does return, right, whether it's after lunch or in a thousand years, who knows, but until he does return, how do these stories, how do they apply to our lives today? If these stories aren't designed to tell me that Jesus is going to calm every storm, then what's the point for me right now? Well, I ran across this the other day. It, hits, it hit me really deep when I read it, so I just want to read it to you. Um, this author, he says this. He says, uh, I want you to think about a time when you woke up at 3 a.m. gripped by worry and fear. Think about a time you woke up at 3 a.m. gripped by worry and fear. Maybe some of you it was 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m. Maybe some of you it was last night. <laughs> but he says, during a crisis, uh, we may lie awake ruminating in our worst fears. But at other times, what occupies our waking mind is nothing more than a list of the many things that are waiting their turn for our attention. So I read that and I was like, I mean, I understand why I can't go back to sleep uh, after I wake up when I'm afraid. Um, it's like a night terror, or some dream or some even unsettling or irrational fear. I get why I can't go back to sleep after that. But why is my to-do list keeping me awake at night? So like his answer was really meaningful to me, so I just want to share it with you. He says this. He says, underneath even these mundane worries lurks a deeper existential anxiety. We're asking ourselves a question. Am I enough to get it all done? Am I enough? Am I strong enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? And these are the fears and anxieties that we all carry deep within us. We all have them, though they are closer to the surface at times than others. And at the heart of all of our anxious questions, we are asking, can I make it through this life and all that threatens me? There are two words that run throughout all four of these stories, fear and faith. In all four stories, someone is afraid and someone has faith. And sometimes that someone is the same person. Like we have a tendency when we read these stories, we have a tendency to turn these characters into heroes. Right? Like maybe you've even heard it before. Like just have the faith of Jairus or just have the faith of the bleeding woman. Now listen, I'm not vilifying them. I'm not criticizing them in any way. But when we read these stories, the hero of the story is always only Jesus. Like he is the focus. The characters in these stories, they're there as reflections of who we are and who Jesus is calling us to be. And let me say really quick, I just caught myself, I'm saying stories because they come to us as stories. I'm not saying stories as if they're not real. I had somebody ask me that a few weeks ago. I believe these stories are real. I think these things happened. I'm using the word story because we receive them as stories. Does that make sense? Do you understand? The people involved in these incidents, <laughs> they're reflections of who we are and who Christ is calling us to be. And what they show us, they're a mess. <laughs> these people are a complicated mess. Jesus' own disciples are the worst of them all. 
They are a complicated mess. They waver constantly between fear and faith. In the calming of the storm last week, the disciples were afraid. But Jesus had so much faith in the power of God's kingdom that when they find him, he's peacefully sleeping as the wind and the waves terrorize them and the boat. But the story ends with the disciples more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. Because they had never seen that display of power before. They had seen amazing things, but nothing like this. In that moment, they realized that his power is overwhelming and uncontrollable. The people in the town, when Jesus cured the guy with the demons, what did the people in the town ask Jesus to do? To leave. Why? Because they were afraid. The disciples are stuck in the boat. <laughs> like, they can't get out. I said this last week. He hadn't taught them how to walk on water yet. They're stuck. And they're overwhelmed with fear because they'd never seen this kind of power before. The people are afraid of the possessed man at first. Right? They chain him up at the outskirts of town. They're afraid of the man, but then their fear is turned toward Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus, afraid of his overwhelming and uncontrollable power. This power that just healed a man that they had cast out and written off as dead. Now, here's the thing about this story. They had a, the townspeople, they had a right to be mad. <laughs> like, what had Jesus just done, practically speaking? He killed their pigs. <laughs> I mean, he didn't kill their pigs, but at the end of the story, their pigs are dead. That's going to have an economic impact. They have a right to be mad, but what does the story say? It says that they're afraid. Then on the other hand, the man who was possessed, he finds faith in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his suffering, and he goes on to tell the Gentile world all about who Jesus is, about this man who has the power over hell itself. And the healing of the woman who is bleeding. The woman comes to Jesus in faith. She's trusting that even in the midst of her despair, and and, and think about this, like a, if you do any research, ancient medicine, horrible to women. Used them as experiments. When you go read the story in, in the scriptures, there are two verses that tell you that she went and saw many doctors and they made her worse and worse. It was her faith that took her to this man, Jesus, even in the midst of her despair, trusting that he was the answer to her suffering. But after she touched him, she retreats back into fear. Jairus had faith that Jesus could heal his sick daughter, and this was a huge risk for Jairus. What you may not know is Jairus was one of the religious elite. He was part of the end religious crowd. He stood to lose everything for associating with Jesus. But he had faith that Jesus could heal his sick daughter, so he turned to Jesus but that faith was transformed into fear again when he found out his daughter had died. A complicated mess. Humans encountering Jesus constantly wavering between fear and faith. Are we or are we not a complicated mess? Constantly wavering between fear and faith. Like, do you find yourself at moments like you're just ready to take on the world, like nothing can stop you, right? You've all felt that way at some point. And what happens the next moment? I don't know. Am I any good at this? <laughs> like, 
Like we start to wonder, imposter syndrome, right? We start to wonder if we're an imposter, like somehow we're just getting by and nobody's noticed yet. And then we're afraid one day they might. Like I'm convinced that the reason that we waver between fear and faith, that happens when our fear and our faith are turned inward on ourselves. That we have too much faith in ourselves sometimes. We have too much faith and confidence in what we can accomplish. And when we find ourselves in that place, that, that faith in ourselves, it can quickly lead to fear that we're gonna be exposed when we and everybody else with us realizes that we're not up to the task. Like to be really transparent with y'all for just a minute, um, like I underestimated how this constant wavering between fear and faith would play out in my life, especially after I took the call to be the pastor here. Like for the past three and a half years, I have been a complicated mess, wavering between fear and faith. And there have been times when that cycle, it's led me in, in the right directions, but every time, those have been the times that I realized I had nothing left and all I could do is rely on Jesus and put my fear and my faith in him. The greatest example is COVID, right? I mean, you know, I knew right away. Like I knew right away I was out of my league. Jennifer and I were in New York City. I don't know if I ever confessed that to all of you or not. We were, we were in New York City um, when everything was shutting down and we realized we just had to get out um, and <laughs> potentially bring COVID back with us, but we'll talk about that some other time. But we knew we had to get out and get home, but when I realized what was happening, I had no clue, no clue. All we knew is we had to get the session together, and that's literally it. We had no clue of what to do. I had nothing. So it was utter dependence upon Jesus, not, not just me, but our session, our staff, all of you. It was utter dependence upon Jesus that pulled us through that at all. We have only him to thank for the fact that we're still here. But then things start to get normal, whatever, whatever that is, um, things start to normalize a bit. Maybe I start to think I need Jesus a little less. So where do I begin to put my faith? In me, in my education, in my preparation, in my training, in my talent, which eventually leads me where? <laughs> to fear. <laughs> fear that you will find out what I already know, that I'm not enough, that I am not good enough, Fear that if this church falls apart, this fear that I, this church that I have loved for the past 20 years, that if this church falls apart, fear that it's gonna be my fault. Y'all, I told the PNC when we interviewed, when we talked about me taking this call, I told them that very thing. That I'm afraid that if I take this call, that I'm gonna be the one who destroys this church. Was that the voice of the Holy Spirit or somebody else's voice whispering in my ear? Because that's too much responsibility for anybody to bear. None of us are that responsible for this, right? So here, like, here's what's helped me. The Holy Spirit has reminded me that I'm not, I'm not good enough. Like I'm not enough to lead or grow this church on my own. I can't build or destroy his church because it's his church. But he's the one who builds it. He's the one who causes it to grow. And he's the one who's gonna shut it down if we're no longer faithful to our calling. I am simply called to trust him and be faithful to the things that he's called me to do. And that's the same thing for you. Trust him and simply be faithful to do the things that he's calling you to do in your life. 
Listen, we are God's family. We are his children. And we have this insane inheritance. Like when you really think about it, we have the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power of God's Holy Spirit living in and among us, working through us. In Ephesians 3, Paul affirms the truth that our stories are telling us today, reminds us of the truth that God is the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask according to his power that is at work within us, according to his power that is at work within us. So I am able to do what he's called me to do because it is his power working in us. So who deserves my fear and my faith? Say it. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, amen. The triune God, because he's the only one worthy of it. Like so far in this series, we have seen that the gospel of Jesus is news. It is really good news, but it's news that changes everything. The gospel changes everything, and that's scary. That's scary. No one likes change, especially good Presbyterians like you. I probably said it a couple weeks ago, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change. (laughs) Y'all seriously haven't heard that before? Oh man, that's an old joke. But if an organism doesn't change, what happens to it? It dies. It's stagnant until ultimately it dies. And if the trajectory of this broken world doesn't change, then there truly is no hope. This is why the gospel, why Jesus alone, deserves both our fear and our faith. Not a paralyzing fear, but a fear of confidence reminding us that I don't need to fear anything else. I only need to fear him. And I should only put my faith in him. Because he's the only one who can actually change anything. He's the only one who can really fix what's broken in us, broken throughout all creation. He's the only one who can hold up to the scrutiny. Only Jesus is good enough. Only Jesus is enough. And that's good news. And I'm telling you it's good news that when you receive it, it will change everything. So I want to close with this. Um, I want to close by just having you ask yourselves the same questions that Jesus asked his disciples, the same questions that run throughout all these stories, Two simple questions. Take a second and ask these of yourself. Why are you afraid? And where, where is your faith? Let's pray.